So let me tell you a story. There's a dear friend of mine who I've been meeting with and just kind of giving some spiritual direction to. Now, for several years, I have walked with this friend and have been able to see him encounter and experience God in a way that they never thought possible. A few years back, I remember this particular prayer request of his, and it went something along the lines of, I want to just draw closer to God. To say that life has been easy, smooth for this dear friend of mine would be a lie. There have been many unexpected turns, especially in the recent, um, the recent months um, and events that have taken place that have been just completely devastating for him. There's been a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of tears, a lot of grief. But the resilience that I have seen despite their broken heart is inspiring, to say the least. This friend, who will remain anonymous, and whose permission I have to share this story, is a young adult, early, mid-twenties. And despite all of the trials and tribulations that he has been going through, he chooses to press into Jesus. The resilience that I'm talking about comes from his choice to do the hard thing, which is to turn to Jesus and surrender himself instead of running away by trying to take matters into his own hands. He chooses to seek Jesus each and every single day. This isn't easy. Right? It's a lot easier to say said than done. Because the easier thing to do would be to distract ourselves, to dismiss and even repress the pain of what we're going through. Right? There's, there's plenty of TV shows to occupy our time and our attention. Our phone are a great resource and tool, but also a great attention grabber. The hard thing to do is the opposite of that, to eliminate the distractions and to allow ourselves to feel what is really happening, but also to seek Jesus in the middle of it. We met several weeks ago, and as he was sharing his story about kind of what was going on with him, um, there was a small part that just kind of stuck with me and it just kind of kept replaying over and over in my head. As we were talking about what his time with Jesus was looking like, he shared with me how he specifically dedicates one entire day to just go and encounter God. He was telling me that he chooses to go to the beach and just sit there. Sit in the uncomfort of that. There's no agenda. There's no expectations. He just comes with questions that allow him to take his thoughts and his emotions and his heart to Jesus. One day, he was prompted to go for a walk on the beach instead of just sitting there and to talk to Jesus. The beach was empty. And to his surprise, the beach was covered by a ton of broken seashells. As he began to engage with Jesus, he couldn't help but to relate the broken shells that he was stepping on to the condition of his own heart. After what seemed like an eternity of walking on the seashell-covered sand, conversing with God, he looked down on the floor and his eyes found what seemed to be the only shell that was whole and complete in the beach, on the beach. At that moment, he leaned down to grab it 
picked it up, and he was brought up for closer examination, there was a whisper. Not an audible voice, but that sort of a whisper that speaks to the heart. And it said this, I will make you complete. What those words carried for him in that moment was a comfort that moved beyond the words to a felt loving embrace. A loving embrace that comes from a father to a son. Through those words, he was experiencing God's love as a father. What a beautiful and tender moment that was. Experiencing the love of God as the love of a father. Now I share this story with permission from this dear friend because it illustrates something that deep down at the core of who we are, at the center of every human heart is a desire to experience the love of God in the form of a loving father. Most of us will spend our entire lives searching for and even giving our hearts away to so many things, including people, in hopes of finding this love that can only be found in God. Our relationship with God is the most important relationship that can exist in our hearts and in our souls. And being able to relate to Him as a father is the most intimate way in which we can relate with God. For us to see God as a father has always been his plan for our spiritual journeys. Even the words of Jesus when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Right? In vul with vulnerability and in full trust and dependency on God. That's how we are to love him. Now, I want to invite us to just, for a quick moment, just close your eyes and take a deep breath in, hold it, and then exhale. Now, as you breathe again, I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about God. And if you were to begin to pray right now, how would you address him? How are you addressing him right now? You can open your eyes now. I would argue that for most of us, we would address God as dear God, or creator, or holy one, or heavenly father. Now there's nothing wrong with how we address God um, in the privacy of, of our prayer life. But did you know that how we address God in our prayers is actually an indicator of the depth and intimacy that exists in our own personal relationship with Him? Now, as simple as this sounds, it goes without saying that the implications of seeing God as a Father is far more complex than what it seems. Without a doubt, relating to God as a Father is one of the most difficult and challenging things to do as humans because it takes an amount, immense amount of trust and vulnerability to allow someone to have that place in our lives. 
There are but a few monumental instances in our childhood that end up shaping how we view, but most importantly, how we relate to people for the rest of our lives. A father figure in our family system plays a significant role in our ability to socialize and function in this world. The foundation that our fathers lay out for us translates to our relationship with God. In other words, the way that we view and relate to our earthly fathers has a direct correlation to the way that we view and relate to God. So if our fathers were distant, absent, whether it was emotionally or physically, that's how we tend to view God, as a distant father. Which is why it's much easier to just kind of address him as a heavenly father, right? Someone who's off at a distance or dear God and just kind of hold them with this like awe and admiration, which don't get me wrong, God deserves that. But without knowing it, we're just keeping them at an arm's distance. And for those who had loving parents, loving fathers who were consistently there in their lives, it makes viewing God a little bit easier. I'm not saying it is completely there, but it just makes it a little bit easier to see, okay, yeah, I see God as a father. Why? Because I had a good father in this life. But believe it or not, having a good father, like earthly father, unfortunately, is not the norm. It is not the norm. The norm is to have a dad that's busy, that's always working, he might be there physically present, but emotionally he might be absent. He might be, set, he might be the, the one that sets the standard, the discipline. Right? So we view the mom as this loving, nurturing character, and then we see the, the dad as a disciplinarian. Which is one of the reasons why we can tend to view God as a punishing God. If things aren't going good for me, God must not love me. This is what makes viewing God, let alone trusting him, very complicated. Father relationships are very important, but they're also extremely, extremely delicate. Our earthly fathers are human. Now this isn't to, find, to blame our earthly fathers for anything. And I'm not excusing some of the hurt, some of the wounds that they've created. What I'm saying is that they had their own brokenness and hurts that without them realizing it were beginning to hurt us. There are always unintended consequences to our actions. Always. Our relationship with our earthly fathers has a profound effect on us. The love and affection that we receive from them helps us cultivate an environment, helps cultivate an environment where we can feel safe and secure. This is what happens in the first five years of our lives. The love and affection that we receive from our fathers help cultivate an environment where we can feel safe and secure. Nowadays, most, um, most books that talk about uh, child development say that 
the first five years, a child does not need discipline. They need love and nurture. We're not, when, when me and Anna were first talking about that, it threw me for a loop. What do you mean I can't discipline? Like, that's how I was raised. But I'll never forget what this um, doctor, um, Dr. Becky, uh, Becky Kennedy said. He said, if you want to fix behavior, it will always come at the expense of relationship. That's what discipline does. Our relationship with our, um, the love, uh, sorry, safety and security set a foundation that allows us to turn and seek God and place our trust in him. That's what that environment allows us to do. Most of who we are, and what I mean, the formation that has already taken place in, our, in the first five years of our lives can be explained by the relationship that we had with our father. Now, when we think back in our childhood, it's really hard to pinpoint a precise event that shaped us. So how does this happen? It's all about the way that our parents related to us. It's all about relationship. Because before we can talk, we learn, based on our interactions with our parents, what feels acceptable and what feels shameful. Dr. Becky Kennedy said this. He says, the interactions that we have with our parents influence what parts of us feel lovable, what parts of us look to shut down, and what parts we should feel ashamed of. In our early years, the way that our parents love us, the impressions that they leave, we absorb through our bodies. Those are the impressions that our parents um, leave on us. We may not be able to remember specific events, but the emotions and how we were made to feel is what we take with us for the rest of our adult lives. That's powerful stuff. Our earthly fathers are human, broken and in need of Jesus, just like every single one of us. They truly did the best they could with what they had. But in their personal journey, without knowing the way in which they interacted with us, it influenced and set a foundation for our lives. If your dad was absent and you experienced or you experience emotional and psychological pain, you are left with what's called a father wound. Or like when you're dating, right, you say like, she has daddy issues, right? They have daddy issues. A father wound, which I feel is a little bit more appropriate, is what often prevents us from being able to see and experience God as a loving father. It's what holds us back from entering into that depth and intimate relationship with him. It makes it difficult to trust God. And it's easier and safer to keep him at a distance. A father wound can be the reason why we may feel inadequate. 
why we may feel abandonment and have a difficulty experiencing death and intimacy with those around us, especially with God. This could be one of the reasons why trusting God can be a challenge and why at times we may find it difficult to let go of the sinful tendencies that we have in our lives. And this is one of the primary reasons why addictions and sinful behavior can have such a strong pull and influence in our lives individually. Because sin offers us a temporary fix, a chance to numb and forget the wound that exists deep down in our hearts. But there's good news. The good news is that this isn't the end of the story for us. There is hope. There is healing that awaits us. This is where we can look to Jesus to show us the way to be able to repair the wounds that, and help us reshape the foundation that has been placed. Most of the time, the deep wounds created by those closest to us are not meant to be repaired with the person that created them. I want that to sink in. The deep wounds created by those closest to us are not meant to be repaired by the person that created them, but with Jesus. Rationally, it makes sense to go to the cause of the problem, the cause of the pain. But putting that weight and that responsibility on that person is not healthy or normal. Jesus is the only one that can bear that weight and that issue. We must learn to turn to Jesus and seek him to show us what safe and secure relationships look like. Now, we're going to take a look at how the love of the Father brings healing to our broken hearts. In your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said this, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Many of us are familiar with this verse and have heard it plenty of times. However, let's not miss how monumental this part in the life of Jesus really is. Up until this point, Jesus revered God. He had known him as his father. But in this moment, God embraces Jesus as his son. But the beauty of this moment is that he does it publicly for the world to see. With 11 words, God spoke into the heart of Jesus and gave him what his human heart needed. This message carried a loving embrace that allowed Jesus to experience at a heart level God's unconditional love. 
which established his identity and gave Jesus his worth as a human. In a fraction of time, God gave Jesus what men will spend their entire lives searching for, which is unconditional love, identity, and meaning. This is what the Father's love gives to our hearts as well. In God, we find an unconditional love, a Father's love. And from it, we receive our identity, like who we are and our worth. Now, I'm not going to dive that deep, too deep into each of these things today, because we're I'm going to cover them when we actually um, talk about Jesus' temptations out in the desert. Because what, what God gave Jesus in that moment with those 11 words, the devil was trying to rob him of that shortly after. And I'm going to dive a little bit more specifically into that. But these are just kind of three things that we get from the Father's love. In the Father, we find unconditional love. Right? He says, this is my beloved son. Frederick Buckner said this. He said, um, what we hunger more than anything else is to be known in our full humanness. And yet it is often what we also fear more than anything else. We have this desire to be known, but more importantly, to be loved. But yet, that is the scariest thing, to be that vulnerable. To know deep down at the core of our being that we are loved is something that we all desire. We don't desire wealth, companionship, things like a job. What we truly desire is to be loved. That's what all those things funnel down to. And whether we have the words to express that desire or not, this is what every human heart is desperately searching for. We spend time, money, and resources searching for this in everything and in everyone. But the truth remains that the love that we're seeking can only come from God. The unconditional love of God is the love of a father. When we experience this unconditional love, it shifts something in our souls. <coughs> Excuse me. His love for us provides us the safety that we seek and the security that we desire and the protection that we're aching for. God's love allows us to feel wanted, delighted, and nurtured, embraced, held, touched appropriately and affectionately, empathized with, understood, comforted when we've been hurt. Unconditional love is the only sort of love that can bring healing and restorations to those deep wounds of our hearts. Nothing else can do that. However, it can only be experienced when we are willing to seek God in this manner. When we allow him to meet us in those depths. And this is his continuous invitation that he has for every single one of us. Every single moment of every single day. When we look at Jesus' life, 
this, knowing that he was unconditionally loved, experiencing that, is where his faithfulness comes from. Jesus knew deep down that God loved him. And a bond had been created between him and God throughout his life. Because Jesus knew the scriptures. He went to the temple. He was prayerful. He fasted. He did all these spiritual disciplines. But in that moment that God spoke to him out of the waters, in his baptism, that bond was solidified. It was strengthened. Jesus knew at the core of his being that he was loved. And living with that understanding, that both um, intellectual and just like relational understanding set a fire in his soul. A fire that allowed him to endure the challenges that he would no doubt face in the future. But Jesus also knew the importance of cultivating this love. It's not just a one-time event. Time after time, we read how Jesus would set out and go to a remote place where there are no distractions to pray. Jesus seeked God every moment of every day, not so that he wouldn't forget or to continue to be affirmed that he was loved, but to live in the reality of that truth. This is why we must make our relationship with Jesus our number one priority. So that we can to live in this reality of this truth. The truth that we are loved. Here's the second point. The Father's love gives us safety and security of knowing who we are. This is my beloved Son. Jesus knew, not just from his mind, from all the scriptures that he had memorized, that God loved him. Right, but from a personal experience that he was loved. <coughs> God had embraced him as his son. And this relational truth is the place where Jesus operated from. When we read the scriptures, I see a focus and a confidence in Jesus that it was unshaken. Everything he did, everywhere he went, he was not swayed by the opinions the perceptions and the expectations that people had of him. He was like laser focused. He walked around with purpose, but this purpose came from the security of who he was, a beloved son of God. Jesus' identity was defined by his relationship with his father. Not what he did for the father, but his relationship with his father from the time he spent with him, not what he did for him. We can't get those two mixed and backwards. It feels easier and safer to do things for God than to do things with him. Because we're doers. We're naturally doers. But doing is not the same as being with him. It may feel that because we're doing things for God. But right, even Paul talks about like, you can have all these great gifts, but without love, they mean nothing. And what is love? It's God. We can spend our entire lives trying to save this world, 
But without God, it means nothing. Jesus knew that he was loved, regardless if he felt it or not. His identity was grounded in his relationship with the Father. It was grounded, it was rooted by the time he spent with him. There was depth and intimacy that existed in the relationship. The Son and the Father shared what could never be taken away from him. This is what gave Jesus the strength and the confidence to look death in the eye and defeat it. God's love for us is unconditional, and with that comes full acceptance of who we are despite of our brokenness. This sort of love cannot be found in the things of this world or even in ourselves. What we're searching for, what we're desperate for, can only be found in the one who created us, God as our Father. Our identity comes from who we experience ourselves to be. The role that sin plays is to kind of create this narrative that we're unlovable. We're unworthy to be loved. Right? We feel dirty. We feel shame. But experiencing the love of the Father shatters that old narrative that has been playing in our minds and ushers us in to hear the voice of the Father speak directly into our souls and reminds us how much we are truly loved. The words of the Apostle Paul, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. This new truth, this new reality, when we live in this truth in our hearts like Jesus did, when we think of ourselves of who we are, the first thing that comes to mind is that we're deeply loved by God. It's automatic. The old narratives of guilt, of shame, of anxiety lose their foothold on us. And we break free. Henry Nouwen said this. He said, the way to victory is not in trying to overcome our dispiriting emotions directly, but in building a deeper sense of safety and an at-homeness and a more incarnate knowledge that you are deeply loved. Here's the third and final point. The Father's love gives us, um, makes us valuable. He says to Jesus, with whom I'm well pleased. Up until this point, Jesus had done nothing but go into the waters of the Jordan to be baptized. Jesus' devotion to his Father can be defined by his obedience. God sent Jesus into the water to be baptized. Jesus followed, and as a result, he received the biggest blessing his heart could have ever asked for. He received the love of the Father in such a deep and intimate way. Jesus did not just come to talk to people about this new reality. He doesn't sh talk to us about like, hey, that the kingdom of God um, is available and accessible to us. He lived in this truth. He lived with this understanding. Jesus knew his worth because it was rooted in the Father's love. He knew that the love of the Father that he carried with him was the only thing of value in his life. The Spirit of God in him was the only thing of value in his life. 
And he knew that this love could never be taken away from him, regardless of the circumstances that he faced, leading all the way up until the cross. When Jesus began his ministry, there were a lot of skeptics, doubters, people opposing him. He went through some pretty tough times, but all that was meant to derail him and distract him. However, his confidence and his strength came from the Father's love, and this is what allowed him to remain focused. He always kept his eye on the Father. All of the insecurities, the doubt, and the fear crumbled. And even in our lives, all those insecurities, the doubts, the fears crumble when they go up against the Father's love. Jesus' miracles, his healings, his teachings are all notable things that would make Jesus a very powerful man worthy of following. However, they were all displays of the Father's love. They weren't displays of power, they were displays of love. A life with God's love in the heart is the true treasure that he discovered. And so Jesus made it clear that God's love in the human heart is the key to an abundant life. So Jesus was expressing the Father's loves in his words, in his actions, but more importantly, showing all of us how to attain it and how to live a life in the love of the Father. He didn't keep it to himself. He's inviting us to that. The love of the Father is what led Jesus to the cross. The love of the Father is what led Jesus to suffer excruciating pain and what gave him the strength to carry the weight of the world. Because of this love, the Father is now accessible and available to us to bring restoration and bring healing that every single one of us is desperate for. I want to close with this. When I have the opportunity to talk to my friend about what Jesus is doing in his life, his response is almost always the same. His circumstances haven't changed much. The only thing that changed is that he feels like he's inching a little bit closer to the Father. He chooses to do the hard thing, which is to spend time with Jesus. But truly fights, the fight is not to give in to the distractions that will take him away from connecting with Jesus. And this last time we met, as we sat across from each other, all I could say to him was how proud I was of him for choosing to lean in and step into that uncomfort. Because most of us don't, myself included. But the fruits of that, the blessing of that, I would even argue that the favor he's finding is that he's experiencing the love of God as a love of the Father.
That's a gift. His strength and courage, the transformation of his heart, is a witness of the loving kindness of God to meet us and embrace us with unconditional love. The journey to depth and intimacy with God is not easy. It requires for us to allow his spirit to meet us in those broken, wounded, and tender parts of our hearts. It means to allow God's love to transform those wounds and redeem those lost parts of our souls. If and when we're willing to discover a love unlike anything we have or will ever experience before, he's there waiting. Because a love that is gentle, kind, like that of a father, loving his child, is patient. But it doesn't force itself on us. It's not forceful. God's love for us will allow us to spend our entire lives searching for it, seeking it and all these things, almost to the point where he's the only one that's left. That's how patient he is. Because at the end of the day, it's ultimately our choice to accept the loving invitation that he has for us. But the great news about this journey, this journey of the soul, this spiritual journey of spiritual formation is that We're never alone on this journey. Jesus is with us, guiding us every step of the way. Not as a guide who stands on the sidelines like a coach would, pointing and telling us what to do, how to move, where to turn, um, but as a brother who is next to us with his loving arm around us, embracing us every single step of the way. And in some instances, carrying us through the fire. He's leading us to the Father who's always there patiently waiting for us. So what is Jesus inviting you to today? I I do believe that this city, this Orange County, we need more spiritual formation as a church. We need to, my heart is to help people draw closer to the Father um, on their own. That story of my friend, like, that is why I started this church. I don't take any credit for what God is doing in that person's life. But I give glory to God for allowing me to play a small role. But more than anything, to be a witness to what he's doing in that life. That's the heart of this church. So I feel like the Lord is allowing me to continue this. Um, So if you guys want to continue, we're on a podcast. I'm going to continue to do this weekly. I'm going to continue to send out emails weekly because that's, if I'm being honest, like that's my heart. That's what I'm really passionate about. That's where I feel like the Lord has has gifted me in. Um, And that's what spiritual direction is. It's just, hey, (laughs) you know, go to the Lord. Like, you know, because... I want you to encounter that. I don't want to be, a pastor is not meant to be the intercessor. 
Like, that's what the Holy Spirit is for. We're just here to, if anything, we should, we should just hold signs. Say, God, this way. <laughs> like, God, this way. Like, that's literally how I view um, my role as a pastor, as a, as a teacher, is just, you know, God, this way. God, this way. So, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for trusting me, for supporting this, and for continuing to support this ministry. Um, and I will keep you guys updated in the near future of what plans look like and where God is leading us, but um, I'm always here. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to continue to pray for you guys. And um, But yeah, with that being said, well, if you need help with the church, finding a church, let me know. Um, I know plenty of great churches around the area um, that are well-established and are doing great things here in the neighborhood. So that being said, I love you guys, and we'll see each other soon. We'll see each other soon. Yes. There's uh, bunt cakes back there if you guys want some.